Welcome to the Pathway Podcast. This episode is week two of our Power of God series. Lead pastor Jeremy Flanagan uses the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to show how God's power can show up in our lives. He challenges us to always choose to magnify God's power through boldness in our obedience. Stay tuned after this sermon for this week's next steps. Now, it would be really nice in life if when you do one great thing, one strong thing, one faithful thing, that it just kind of knocks every wall down and it just makes the way easy going forward. But it just doesn't work that way. It doesn't. I mean, in today's story, Nebuchadnezzar turns around and is so angry that he wants Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego killed. These are the three guys that he just put in charge because Daniel was the only one that could interpret dreams. It is as much of what have you done for me lately as you can have any story in the world. Because you're the greatest guys in the world, you're in charge, except you made me mad today, I'm going to kill you. So when we look at this story today from the lives of these four young people who would not compromise, we've already seen strength, it's already made an impact, it's already put them in charge of things that other people would covet to be in charge of. But they're faced with the same choice again. And by the way, Daniel, that whole story of Daniel in the lion's den, yeah, that happens later too. And, and so the easy path never is there. It's a daily, constant choice that these people have to make. Are we going to compromise or are we not? You can't just make a big show of it once and say, I'm following God today, and then next week I, I, I'm not going to worry about it or think about it. It is a daily constant choice about whether we be who God wants us to be or whether we compromise. So let's just jump in. Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people whatever their race or nation or language, bow to the ground and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. I mean, that's been the story of the Jews, right? Through all of history. They don't do something people want, and then people inform on them, and, and then they get killed. And so here it is. It's how it was back then. It's, we've seen that in the last century in our world. Um, but these Three men. We don't really know what happened with Daniel in this story. I don't know if like he was a far way off or if just no one saw him. Who knows at this point. But Daniel wasn't involved in this story. However, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were. They were the Jews that were referred to in verse 8 where it says some of the astrologers informed on them. Now, to start the message, I said that God built us in a way that when we see others exhibit immense faith, in God, it amplifies the message shown by his power. His power is the message. 
The message of God is, is what it is, right? We can't change it, add to it, take away from it. But our actions either amplify it, or like I said, when we choose to compromise instead, what does that happen? Well, that, that shuts it down. Have you ever heard of the term killjoy? I mean, a more modern equivalency is the term Debbie Downer. No offense to any Debras that are in the room. But the idea that you're sitting around and maybe you've got a group of friends or you're enjoying yourself, you're having a good conversation, you're laughing, you're joking around, and then one person comes in and, and then just changes the topic and brings up something that just kills the room, right? It just takes the joy away. It takes the fun away. Instead of talking about fun things, it's like, all right, now we're talking about how to, you know, you know, fix geopolitical things in uh, Eastern Europe or how that, uh, you know, what we're drinking right now, that, that styrofoam cup that I smuggled in from Springdale and uh, how it's like killing the, you know, killing the seals somewhere. I don't know. But uh, it's really good that for years, I mean, I, I was a Branson, I was a Silver Dollar City mug guy for years and years that I put my drinks in. I switched to my Ozark Trail. I can't afford Yeti. Uh, but uh, it's good because... Otherwise, I'd be smuggling in styrofoam, and then one of you would bring that up and kill the joy over whatever conversation we had. And so that whole idea is kind of that same concept, that that's what kind of happens when a Christian, there's a moment where people can be pointed to a conversation about God, maybe something God has done, right? Maybe something that God has worked or something going on in your life or you know, a, a thing that, that the Lord has blessed somebody with and you're seeing the power of God move there. And then all of a sudden, if we are seen to compromise our beliefs or our faith in God or we show a weak faith in God, it just kind of kills that conversation, right? Because if you've ever been in that group, you got five or six friends sitting around and you're all laughing, having a great time, and then one person comes in and just, you know, kills the room, what do you do? You try and get out of that conversation as fast as you can. It's like, Whoever the one person that locked eyes with them is, it's like, sorry, we're sacrificing you. You're stuck. The rest of us are all peeling away, right? I always end up being that one guy that gets stuck and having to, you know, talk about the finer points of economic theory or something. I don't know. I, I was just trying to talk about sports. Well, whenever God is working and God is moving and God is acting, whenever we exhibit faith in God and whatever God is doing, Whenever there's a conversation, it may not be a joyful conversation, but a conversation about what's right or what's wrong, about the strength of faith that we should have and what the Bible teaches. At the point that we show that we're committed to what the Bible says, we're not rude or mean about it. We just, we, this is who we are. This is what we believe because it's what God said. And we stay firm on that. When we do, it amplifies God's message is true. And when we stay silent or when we compromise, even worse, it kills it, shuts that down. And so here you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and thousands upon thousands of other Jews, right? Thousands of other Jews who are told that they need to bow down and worship this statue that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. And only three of them here, we don't know where Daniel is, but he wouldn't have worshipped it either. That's what he gets in trouble for, for the lion's den. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have a choice to make. Am I going to compromise or am I not? So what drives us to compromise? Whether it's that we stay silent about who God is, we stay silent about the gospel, we stay silent about uh, morality or other things that God is clear about in Scripture. What 
causes us to compromise. Well, the same thing that caused thousands and thousands of Jews to compromise on this day. Only three stood up. All the rest compromised and bowed down. And what caused that? Fear. Simple fear. Now, theirs was simple fear, but it was very strong fear, right? Very simple. Sometimes you say, well, if I speak up, what's going to happen? What are people going to think? They didn't have to question that. If I stand up, what's going to happen? I'm going to be thrown into a fiery death. So theirs was a very simple binary choice, right? They didn't have to think a lot. They just had to choose. But fear can work on very small things too, right? We fear rejection. We fear ridicule. We fear loss of opportunity. We fear change in relationships. We fear uh, persecution. You know, you get the Twitter mob after you and, you know, life is over. Um, There's something going on this week and like national leaders and he said this, she said that and everything else. And the reason people wouldn't come out and name who they were, they says, because they were were afraid of of angry tweets. And I'm like, all right, you can't be leaders. Um, And so, but it's real. I want to tell you it's real. If you've ever had people gang up on you, if you've ever had people, you know, the rumors get started and people talking bad about you and people pushing you down and everything else, it is a real fear of that type of persecution or rejection or scorn. People saying things about you that aren't true, but if they say them loud enough and long enough, maybe others will believe it. You know, you can defend yourself about saying, well, I'm not one way, but they all say you are. And they, I mean, it's not easy to prove that you're not a horrible person, right? And so we're scared. We get fearful of this rejection, of loss of opportunity, whether it be, I don't know if I'll get a job, or I don't know if I'll be able to be involved in this organization, or people will shun me or shut me out. And it causes us at times to compromise. Sometimes it's the, the easy compromise of silence, right? The easy compromise of not standing up at all. And other times, it's compromise where we give in. And we say things that we don't believe, or we even just change our beliefs because it's easier to go along and not fear the wrath of the people around us than it is to stay true to the God that's not here in front of our face right now. So for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, you know, there's a verse in Romans 125 when it, we talk about what they were facing. Romans 125 that talks about mankind and how that they kind of pushed God away. It says that they traded the truth about God for a lie. And this is in the New Testament, obviously. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. It was true 2,000 years ago when this was written. It's true today, and it was true back in the days of Nebuchadnezzar. That mankind, whenever people or whenever someone is asking us to compromise our beliefs in God, what they are really doing is saying that we need to put their views, their lifestyle, their choices, their, their you know, paradigm of how they look at the world, we need to put that as being more important than either who God is or what God has said. And that's it. At any point in time that we choose something else over God, we are, we are worshiping the, create, the creation instead of the creator. We're worshiping either ourselves or what we want or other things in life instead of actually worshiping the God who gave us life. 
And so that's what Paul told the Romans. It's what we need to remind us today when we're faced with that fear that, for, that pushes us to potential compromise. We have a choice to make. We're either going to worship God and stay true to him, or ultimately what we're doing is worshiping ourselves. Because if we're afraid of rejection, then we're putting our own acceptance in the eyes of others ahead of God. If we're afraid of loss of opportunity, then we're putting whatever that opportunity is above staying true to who God is. If we are afraid of persecution or relationship changes that we don't want, then we are putting our own peace and safety with our friends and others around us and we're holding that to a greater value than the peace that comes from following what God has said. See, in all these things, compromise is a choice between either following God and worshiping Him or really ultimately worshiping ourselves. Now, that's a, that's a hard reality we all face and guess what? There are a lot of times that we will worship ourselves and we choose us over God. We choose to give in to our fears instead of show faith in his power. So here in this story today, what we see is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are now going to be asked to show faith in the power of God, and as we'll read, before God shows his power to everybody else. Daniel chapter 3, keep going in verse 12, it says, these uh, astrologers came forward, and you know they were informing on them and everything else. And it said, but there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. And they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. And when they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I don't know why they always just have to repeat the names. That you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I've set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And that then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Verse 16, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown in the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. However, and here's the powerful thing in verse 18, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. See, that's the rub, right? Like if God had guaranteed them that if you don't bow down, I will save you. Then that's a little bit of strength and a little bit of faith, maybe something that you can have and hold on to that says, all right, I'm going to stand firm because I know that God will save me. I know that God will keep me from persecution. I know that God will not take away the opportunity that I'm afraid I'll miss out on. I know that God will keep me from being rejected from the people that I so desperately want to be accepted by. I know that God's going to just work everything out if I stand firm. I mean, if we had that promise, right, then it's all great. And God does promise that he will work everything out, but sometimes it's like a lot of medals that are awarded. It's posthumously. It's after we leave this world. God takes care of us for eternity, but he is far less concerned about whether I have uh, the Twitterati mad at me 
or whether I lose a friendship over being firm and, and strong in who I am, or whether somebody gets offended that I say there's only one way to heaven, or whatever it may be. God cares about those things too, right? He cares when we're hurt. He, he cares when our hearts are crushed because of a loss of something. He cares about all of those things. But it is far more important, and he cares far more about our eternity than he does any of those things. And guess what? Not just our eternity, but the eternity of everyone that we can impact. Because like I said, when we're given the choice to either follow God or to compromise, when we choose to compromise, the power of God is still the same. It's always the same. It's always amazing. It's always great. But our compromise can dampen the message. Or, in the case of these three, amplify it. Because they said, our God can save us. But if he doesn't, if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. You know, there's a quote by William Penn. He is the, uh, the guy that Pennsylvania was named after, obviously. Uh, well, not obviously. He lived in the 1600s, so that makes it a little more obvious. But he uh, helped found that. He helped design Philadelphia and lay it out. Uh, I like him a lot because he hated the crazy streets of London and how it all was jumbled up. And so he laid Pennsylvania out on a, or Philadelphia out on a grid. Uh, so he's my guy. I'm a grid guy, right? I like streets that cross streets, and I like parallel lines. But more importantly, uh, he wrote a lot of different things about justice. He wrote a lot of different things about, um, you know, um, looking at, uh, at uh, the justice in America at that time and really kind of had some of the leanings that led into the Declaration and everything else. Uh, one of his quotes is great. It says, right is right, even if everyone is against it, and wrong is wrong, even if everyone is for it. And so there's a quote by St. Augustine about, Oh, 1,200 years earlier. I know, about 1,000 years earlier. But similar to that, but Penn's is kind of the best. It's kind of the more notable. Just that right is right, always. It doesn't matter who's for it or against it. And wrong is wrong, even if everyone is for it. They had a choice. These three, thousands and thousands of other Jews accepted the wrong, right? Everyone was for the wrong over being killed. Everyone was for the wrong and getting ahead in life Instead of having their life ended. But right is right, even if everyone is against it. So James 14, 4 verse 17 tells us to remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. There's compromise that's obvious. Where people say, accept this thing that is wrong on its face and we accept the wrong. And then there's also compromise when we know what to do. And we choose not to. So their compromise here was more of the, the former. They, it was, you know, bow down or not. And they chose not to. But the reason I look at the strength that they had to choose not to bow down, to choose not to compromise in this open, very clear way, is because they had already shown a pattern in their life that we're going to follow God even when there's dire consequences for it and they had the threat of their life early on in Daniel chapter 1 and they still followed God I imagine they were probably still following God and everything else and that's why the other astrologers and other people were jealous of them I mean first of all they had been risen up in a position of authority over them and these guys wanted that position but here's the funny thing here's the thing you look at 
Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had already blessed King Nebuchadnezzar and blessed these astrologers. Remember in Daniel chapter 2, I said, if you go read that story, what would have happened to all, all of the astrologers and magicians had Daniel not stepped up? Had Daniel not stepped up and interpreted that dream, the king had already given the command to kill all of them. And so these astrologers who turned on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego only had their life. They were only alive because those four Hebrews had been strong in their faith in Daniel chapter 1 and Daniel chapter 2. That's the only reason they were even alive. But what have you done for me lately? King Nebuchadnezzar only had his dream answered because of these four Hebrews. And they had always made it clear that they were going to stand true to their God. And still yet, he turned on them. I want to let you know that some of the people you may be closest to, some of the people that you may think are friends, some of the people that you think would never turn their back on you, if it ever comes to a point in time when they are ultimately worshiping the creation rather than the creator, and you have a disagreement, whether it's about who God is, whether it's about a moral issue, that those people may turn on you. And that is going to make you question and fear whether or not it would be better to compromise. It will. I mean, foot, we compromise because we, people we don't know talk bad about us, right? We'll compromise for the sake of people we don't even know and never see again. So we'll sure compromise at times for those friends or family or coworkers or people we go to school with, neighbors, that we don't want to think bad of us. So here they had a choice. Nebuchadnezzar was so angry, it says in verse 19, that he was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. And he commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Now, the guy in me that that loves math and kind of likes physics says that it was probably impossible to make it seven times hotter. However, I imagine there's probably seven times more wood. Seven times hotter, I mean, that would have been something to see. Everything would have been melted. But it was hot, and it was so hot, and the fire was so strong, and it was so big. It wasn't just the regular furnace. They put so much wood and so much fuel on the fire that it did increase in temperature, but it really increased in the area it radiated. Because you'll see in verse 22, And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Nebuchadnezzar was so angry that he wanted it. He didn't want to kill him. He wanted to really kill him. I mean, instant death isn't good enough. We need instant, like, poof, right? We need them not to burn up. We just want them to just mist as we throw them in. And so, anyway, verse 23, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors 
crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed. And I love this. And their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even have the smell of smoke. I love campfires. But then I have to come home and throw all my clothes in the laundry and get a shower because my wife's allergic to, guess what, smoke or just about, you know, anything. And so love campfires, but then you have the smell of it. And number one, you don't want your pillow to smell like that for, you know, weeks, right? And so we don't do outdoor fires a lot. These guys, not only were their clothes fine, I mean, that's beside the point. They didn't puff into, you know, mist as thrown in. That's the bigger point. But they didn't even smell of smoke. And it sounds like such a little detail, but it's detailing the power of God, right? God didn't just save them. He kept them whole. He didn't just save them. He saved them from even the effects that all of these guys, I guarantee you all those people near the furnace smelled like flames, smelled like smoke, smelled like the charred bodies of the, the soldiers you threw them in. I mean, that, you know, that's pretty strong stuff, except for these three, except for these three. Everybody else had impacts except the three people who were thrown in. The three people the fire was meant for, the power of God saved them so completely there was not even a trace. Not even a trace. Because there was a fourth person in the fire with them. I'm not going to go into great detail or let's debate. Was it an angel that God sent in? Was it the son of man, which would be the pre-incarnate Christ, who was there, God actually in the flames with them? To me, all of that's far less important than the fact that the power of God was on display. Because really, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't sitting there saying, I wonder if it was an angel or whether it was Jesus. And that determined whether he thought this was an important you know, moment in history. No. God saved them. God entered by himself or through an emissary, entered that fire, was standing beside them through the fire, and brought them out unharmed. Brought them out unharmed. Now... In verse 28, it says, Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own. See, what did I say? The power of God is what was on display here, right? But it was their willingness to believe and have faith in God that amplified the message. We can't change the message, we can't take away from it, we can't add to it. We just either amplify it or we kill it. Their actions amplified it. And because of that, in verse 29, he had seen the power of God, but that faith that they showed displayed to Nebuchadnezzar that a person who has faith in the power of God is is someone that God is going to be with. And he said, "I, I want us to be on that side. I don't just simply want to be on the side of this God that we can't see, but I have seen with my own eyes now that these three and their faith in the power of God and how it has delivered them, we are going to be on that side. So therefore, I make this decree, if any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. And then in verse 30, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. You know, last week I said that one of the most common themes that we see throughout the Bible, whether it's Jesus bringing back someone from the dead or whether it's he or his disciples performing other miracles, 
one of the most common themes that we see through all of those displays of God's power is that these supernatural events, even these from the Old Testament, are put there to show that God is who he says he is. That God has done what he said he will do and that his promises for the future are going to be true as well. And so when we look at this and when we see this story and the other stories we'll talk about the next three weeks, it spoke volumes to the world. Now, had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego been thrown into the fire and God said, man, that's great. I'm going to see you in a few minutes, but it's not going to be down there. It's going to be up here. I mean, they were still willing to go that route, right? And I want to tell you this, that even had the persecution come with its full weight, even if they had, their lives had been ended and they had been crushed, their faith in standing firm would still have spoken volumes to the people around them. You know, the Apostle Paul was once a guy named Saul who was sitting there watching a man named Stephen get stoned to death for his faith. There are countless people throughout history who have sacrificed their life for the truth of, and the message of God's word. And the impact in that moment may seem that their life was over, but the ripple effect that it had on those that witnessed their faith reverberated throughout the rest of history. Even if God's power had not saved them in that moment, the power of God exhibited through the faith of those who know who he is still has an impact. You know, and for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you may look at them and you say, man, how are they able to have that? You know, we think to ourselves sometimes that, you know, if I had seen the power of God work, if I had seen God's power displayed, it would make, you know, make it easier for me to be strong too. But remember, when they first showed their faith in God back in Daniel chapter 1, what had they seen? They had seen God's nation conquered by the Babylonians. They had seen God say, I keep telling you to follow me, and if you don't, this is going to happen. And so they quit following God. He allowed them to be taken over. And so their life was seeing God's people not follow him. Another nation, the Babylonians, come and conquer them, and all of them were taken away as slaves. But still, they chose to believe in the power of God. Believing in the power of God and standing firm on your convictions and, and choosing to not compromise, it's not a product that is, uh, you know, one plus one equals two. It's not something that, well, if everything had lined up up until this time, I would be strong or stay strong. No. The strongest people in the world choose to compromise. And sometimes the weakest people in the world in that moment choose to be firm. It's a choice that you have to make. It's a decision each and every day, sometimes multiple, multiple times a day. Am I going to be who God wants me to be? Or am I going to compromise out of fear of something or simply because I value myself more than what God has said? You know, as we close up this morning, when you look at the gospel message and when you look at all these displays of power and how they're to prove that God is who he said he is, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 it says, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. And this good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. It's that faith that we can have in God that actually gives us life, that gives us a peace with him. 
which is far greater than any peace with others that compromise could bring. It's that faith in God that allows his power through salvation to provide us an eternity in heaven. It's all about God's power, and it just matters whether or not we're going to choose to live by faith and accept him as Savior, and then whether or not we're going to choose to live by faith and amplify his message, or whether people will reject the power of God of salvation, or if you are a believer in Christ, reject what he wants in your life because it's just easier to go along. As we prepare for a time of response as our worship team comes forward, I just want to ask you to, to look inside and to find those areas that we may compromise. Find those areas of our life where maybe it has been easier to give up or to give in. And ask yourself why. What was so worth that compromise that you chose to go against what you know God wants for you? What was so important that you chose to do something else? Was it how, what other people think? Maybe it was forced. Maybe people were just railing on you, telling you to agree with them and, and accosting you because you didn't. Or maybe it was just simply that you chose to want the things you want more than to want the things of God. Whatever it is that drives us to compromise, it's never worth it. It isn't. And whatever situation that you are faced with, when we choose to stand strong and have faith in God, it is worth it every time. I'm not telling you that the power of God is always going to swoop in and make everything easy. It's not going to make everything work. It's not going to take all your fears away. Sometimes your worst fears will be realized when you choose to stay strong by God. But even when those worst fears come true, what you can know is that the power of God will still help you overcome them. And it's always worth being on that side of the story. If you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior, if you've never trusted in Him, I want you to look at what Paul said there in Romans 1. Not just about the fact about how sometimes we worship ourselves instead of God, but like we shared at the end, that it's the power of God that provides salvation. Have you first placed your belief in that? Have you first accepted that truth instead of still looking to yourself or something else to provide your worth to God? Accept Him as your Savior today. And if you have accepted Him, it's a daily, constant many times a day choice that we have to make. Are we going to stand firm on what God wants? And let me tell you, it's hard, but it's worth it every time. Thank you for listening. We invite you to take some next steps this week. One, read Daniel chapters one through three to get the background and story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Two, have fears of negative consequences or criticism caused you to compromise your principles, trust in God's power to help you, or at least accept that it would be better to face those consequences than to compromise, and ask God for protection, guidance, and strength. For more information about small groups, Pathway Kits, or anything Pathway-related, contact us at pathwaybaptist.com connect.